Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Week two, we're studying the book of Romans, week two. Last week, we talked about how Paul said in chapter nine, he had this ardent heart for the lost, this unquenching desire that people far from God would be made near to God. And this week we're looking at Romans chapter 10, and he kind of starts, we'll see in just a minute, he starts the same way. Let me ask you this question. How many have ever been lost? Not just spiritually. You've just been lost. You were just driving down the road, and you were lost. I feel like I get lost in two different places repeatedly. Driving out of state and theme parks. Theme parks can be the most confusing place. They even have GPS apps on your phone now that will lead you through, team, through theme parks, and they don't work. I have been to Silver Dollar City more times than I want to admit, and I have been lost. It's a small place. There's actually a disclaimer on their webpage. I found it says, if you want the exit, walk uphill. No matter where you are, the exit is uphill. And that helped me a lot. How many know, so you know what it's like to be lost? Here's what I've discovered when I'm lost. I'm usually lost before I know I'm lost. Does that make sense? I think I'm going the right way, but I come around the corner and there's a dead end or there's a pond or there's a creek or there's, there's something to let me know I'm not going where I thought I was going. So there's a little bit of, I experience lostness without knowing I'm lost, and then I experience lostness knowing I'm lost. So sometimes I'm lost, and I know it, and sometimes I'm lost, and I don't know it. So if you're in the room today, you might be lost right now, and you don't even know it. But God, here's, here's good news, if you've ever been lost. God has a heart for the lost, and now I'm talking about spiritual lostness. God has a heart for those who are lost. And if God has a heart for the lost, then you and I as God followers must have a heart for the lost. In Romans chapter 10, listen to what Paul says. This is the second, the second time he's talking about the same thing. Chapter 9, he talked about it. Chapter 10, he talked about it again. He talked about it one time, then he talked about it again. That's why we talked about it last week. We're going to talk about it again. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites, that is his own people, that they may be saved. For I can testify about them, listen to this, that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone. Everybody say that word with me, everyone. For everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? It says the word is in you, it's in your mouth, and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you are confessed 
and saved. Let's stop right there. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together this morning. I pray in the next minutes of time that you will anoint me to speak what you want spoken, open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to hear what the Holy Spirit would say to us. I pray whether people are in the room, watching online, or listening to a podcast months from now, that the Word of God will work in us this morning, that we would just commit ourselves right now to respond to what the Holy Spirit would say to us so that our life can be changed and effective for the purpose of God. And everybody in the room that agrees with that prayer, would you say, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So Paul's, Paul's saying... I want people who are close to me to know Jesus. I want my people to know Jesus. He's not satisfied. And here's one of my big statements I want you to get today. He's not satisfied that those who are nearest to him would be far from God. I'm praying today, I want to put this on the screen for you. Let us never be satisfied when those who are close to us are far from God. I will say it again. Let us never be satisfied when those who are close to us are far from God. You know, John says in one of the small gospel stories in the Bible, he says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. In other words, he has no, there's no greater joy in his life to know that people that he loves is loving Jesus. But I believe the opposite is true also. There's no hurt in a believer's life than when those that we love don't love Jesus. And when lo those that we love don't know Jesus, if that statement, we love them but they don't love Jesus, when that situation no longer bothers us, then we have to be man or woman enough to realize, I do not have my passion for the lost to the level it should be. It should bother us when those that we love don't love Jesus. You're not shaking your heads like I want you to. Someone, I'll say it again. It should bother us when those that we love don't love Jesus. It should bother us when our, when our friends at the workplace or at the golf course, at the marketplace, or around the table at Thanksgiving, when people we love are far from God, that should bother us. And if it doesn't bother us, then there is a spiritual condition that needs to be improved, not just in them, but in us. So how can I grow a heart for the lost is the question I want to answer this morning. Here's the first way I can grow my heart for those who are far from God. is number one, I must not allow anything to lessen my love for them. Paul said, my, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is that, is that the Israelites, those who, who I love, those of my own people, he says, I, I, I long that they be saved. I long that they come to know Jesus. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 23. He said, oh, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you unto myself, but you would have no part of it. Jesus has the same concern. This unstoppable love for Jesus that, or, or for people that flows from Jesus must also flow out of us. And the best way we grow our love for the lost is to grow our love for Jesus. I want to say that again. The best way we grow our love for the lost is to grow our love for Jesus. Because the more you love him, the more you'll love them. 
And so if my, if my love for them is fading, I hope this will be a wake-up call. Let me be the blue lights behind your car today and tell you, if you do not love the lost, your love for Jesus is not where it ought to be. And somebody just said, don't judge me, you can't say that. And your reaction just judged yourself. Okay? We cannot be satisfied and comfortable with people that we love when they don't love Jesus. There is, a, there is a process that God has called you and I to be a part of. And so I'm not here to tell you today, this is not a do-better sermon. Well, you just got to do better loving people. That's not what this is about. But this is an encouragement that let's love Jesus better. And if we love Jesus better, we will love people better. Jesus said it like this, remain in me and I'll remain in you. For no branch can bear fruit by itself. It's got to remain in me. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches of a branch. Remains in me and I in him. Listen to this. He will bear much fruit. If we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us, we are going to be fruitful for the kingdom. I want to say that again. If He is in us and we are in Him, we will bear fruit for for the kingdom. If we are in Him and He is in us, then we we are desperately doomed to produce something good understand that? If you are in Him and He is in you, He is going to produce fruit from your life, period. But if we are not in Him and He is not in us, then, then the Word also goes on to say, then we will do nothing. So if nothing is the fruit we are producing spiritually, then we have to, we have to say, Lord, be in me more and let me be in you more. If people matter to God, which they do, then they must matter to us. And the enemy is going to do all he can do to choke out your love for God and choke out your love for people. Paul had been persecuted by the Israelites. He had been thrown in jail by the people he's saying, I have a deep desire for them to be saved. Those are the ones who had beat him, left him for dead, persecuted him, said false things about him, tried to run him out of town. All these things, and those are the ones that he said, I deeply love, I want to see them come to Jesus. He did not let persecution choke out his love for them. You and I cannot let what people do to us choke out our love for them. We can't let time choke out our love for them. I was... I have a really good friend of mine, lifelong friend of mine, who uh, just consider him one of my best friends. But somewhere in our late teenage years, his life went one direction, mine went a different direction. We would see each other, but obviously living different lives. He had major struggles with with alcohol, addiction to, to drugs of all sorts, 
in trouble with the law, in jail, out of jail, just totally, totally different life than I'm living. And I never stopped being his friend. I never stopped loving him. But at some point, I don't know when, at some point in my mind, I just decided the way he is, is the way he is. I'm going to love him. I'm going to be his buddy. But he's not going to change. I'd seen no desire for change. I had no interest towards the Lord. And somewhere I moved from that part of the state to here, so we just kind of lost touch. And so I was over the moon, pleased, when he called me a few months ago and told me how God had radically saved him, changed his life. He called me just to discuss the Bible. That was it. But when I hung up the phone, I had to repent to God for me giving up on someone who Jesus had not given up on. We cannot allow what we see, hear, or experience choke out our concern for those who are far from God. Amen? Number two, we've got to believe, we've got to realize that sincere belief is not enough. Look at verse number two. For I can testify about them. This is who Paul saw about the Israelites. I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Paul is saying they're sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. Their sincerity, listen, people in our world today, they don't want to hear this, you hear it this morning, okay? Sincerity is not a substitute for salvation. Tweet that and see what kind of response you get. Right? Because most of us live in a world today where if you are sincere, that's like the, that's like the ultimate, that's the ultimate uh, thing that we applaud and value is just sincerity. As long as you sincerely believe what you believe, then you're okay. But Paul says, no, these people I am deeply concerned that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. They are zealous for God, but they're sincere, but they're wrong. And their sincerity is not a substitute for salvation. Did you know you can be sincere and wrong at the same time? Some people, they sincerely believe that the 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl today. We'll see. They might, they might be right. You can be sincere and right. And you can be sincere and wrong. There are, there are people that sincerely believe Elvis is alive. They have a webpage. I think they have meetings. Um, you can sincerely believe a lot of things. But sincerely believing something doesn't make it true. The Bible even says as this world culminates, we need to be aware of this, church. 
that there will be more and more people who are sincere but wrong. Pastor, why would you say that? Listen to John chapter 16. Jesus speaking. All of this I've told you that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you, speaking about Jesus followers, that anyone who kills a Jesus follower will think he is offering a service to God. Sincere, but wrong. Matthew chapter 7 says, Not everyone who said... Jesus speaking still. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those that do the will of my Father. There's going to be many, Jesus said, who on that day say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Sincere, but not saved. No, I know this rubs people the wrong way. Many are convinced, well, surely if someone's sincere, that is good enough. But here's the, here's the deal, friends. Listen to this. If sincerity was good enough for salvation... Jesus would not have had to come to earth, go to the cross, and give his life. If sincerity was good enough, when Jesus prayed in the garden, Lord, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, if there's any way I can get away from this sacrificial death, if, the, if sincerity was enough, then God could have spoken to his, fa- to, to his son and said, okay, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. Just get up from the garden and make sure they're sincere. But sincerity is never a substitute for salvation. And I know that flies into the face of the culture we live in today, so it just makes me want to say it again. Sincerity is never a substitute for salvation. That right there is worth your price of admission this morning. Because we live in a world that says sincerity is the God. But it's not. Jesus is the God. You can be sincere and wrong. The other day I was pulling out of our neighborhood, which is right across the street over here. I was pulling on Highway 38, that four-lane road. I looked to the left. There was no cars coming. I looked to the right. There was no cars coming. I looked to the left again. There was no car coming. I hit the gas. I went about four feet into the lane. And all of a sudden, someone started honking their horn at me. I know you can't honk loudly, right? Because when they honk, they're all the same level. But, but he was honking loudly. And in that moment, I realized that I sincerely thought The way was clear, but I was wrong. And I slammed on my brakes, and I literally thanked God that that guy honked at me so I could stop before I was destroyed. I was sincere, and it almost cost me my life. You and I are not called to be proud of part of the process of condemning people, but we are called to be part of the process of being salt and light and alerting people that we live in a dark world, but Jesus can change them. He can help them. He can redeem them. Proverbs 14 speaks to this, and I'll move on. Proverbs 14 says, There's a way that seems right to a man but it leads to death. Sincerity without knowledge, it puffs us up. It, it provides a substitute. We provide our own substitute for the Lord. Number three, we have to believe that anyone can be made righteous in God's eyes. 
Before I go any further, let me just, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or anything like that, but let me just ask you for the sake of you answering this for yourself. Do you believe that God can save anyone? Because I'm going to challenge you to believe that God can save anyone. That no one is outside the reach of God's grace. Verse 4 says, Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for most people who believe. No, no. He says, for everyone who believes. I like what Charles Stanley says. He says, when we place our faith in Christ, God looks at us just as he looks at Jesus, who completely obeyed the whole law without exception and without fault. The perfect record of Christ becomes ours through faith. The record of our wrong is expunged. The record of his righteousness is credited to us. That's the grace of God. Titus chapter 2 says, For the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all of us. This verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 11, says that we were washed when we were sanctified. We were justified in the name of Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All of us can be made righteous in the eyes of God. All of us can be saved if we call on the Lord. Several years ago, there was a man attending our church who had been, um, he had been convicted of, of murder, uh, I believe on two different counts. And he'd gone to prison, served his time, and was getting out. And on a Sunday morning, I was in the church lobby, and it was sort of, you know, smaller town, so everyone knew everything. Everyone knew this gentleman was about to get out of jail that week. And this lady caught me in the lobby of our church and said, Pastor, if he comes to church here, I won't be back. I can't worship with a murderer. And inside my heart, I thought, you are going to hate heaven. Right? You are going to hate heaven. Because I am pretty convinced there are... Matter of fact, wasn't there a thief right beside Jesus on the cross that he said, Today, you're going to be in my kingdom? God help us to see people as Jesus sees them and not as we see them. By the way, that conversation was over 12 years ago. And so I had to get back on Facebook because that's where you find out stuff. <laughs> and I'll just tell you, that gentleman got out of jail, started attending our church, started preaching and sharing his testimony anytime anyone would listen to him. And he's still doing that today. Amen. Amen. God can change any heart. Isaiah chapter 1, verse number 18, says it like this. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. 
Pastor, I just don't know if I can believe that God could save someone like you're talking about. Does anyone know who wrote the book of Romans? Paul described himself as once being a murderer and a persecutor. Right? I like the scripture in Hebrews where it says, to the uttermost, Jesus can save. That doesn't just mean that he can save anybody. That means he saves us thoroughly. There's not one part of our life that he cannot, as far as the east is from the west, remove that trespass from me. So, pastor, how can I be right with God? And how can I tell my friends how they can be right with God? Well, Romans 10, 9 through 13 gives it to you in a snapshot. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. You will be saved. For as with your heart you believe and are justified, with your mouth you confess are saved. And as the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all those who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't want to ask Megan to come. I want to ask you to get out your phone. Get out your phone real quick, and I want to ask you to take two pictures. First picture I want to ask you to take is this next slide. I have, I have written this picture on, I don't want to exaggerate, but dozens and dozens of napkins through the years, if not hundreds of napkins for the last 20 years. Um, it's simply our need for salvation and how we come to Jesus. The guy on your left is obviously separated from God. Why is he separated? He's separated because there's a gulf of sin. Sin creates distance between us and God. And it doesn't matter how much religion you practice. It doesn't matter how many good deeds you do. It doesn't matter how, how sincere you are. All those good works, all, those, all that religion, all that stuff, it, just, it, it never crosses the gulf between us and God. It just falls, in the, it just falls short. We're all sinners in need of salvation. Romans 6 and 23 says that the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is life through Christ Jesus. But see, Jesus came, which is the next picture I want you, want you to take a picture of. When Jesus came, the cross of Jesus bridged the gap between God and man. And when there was no way that I could ever be saved through my good deeds and my works and my efforts, through my sincerity, in a moment, Jesus did what I could never do. He became the bridge between God and man, which is why the Word says about Him, He is our mediator. He's the only mediator. Ephesians 3.12 says, In Him... And through faith, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. Acts chapter 16 says that believe in Him and you will be saved. For there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. For Acts chapter 4. I give you those two pictures today, not just so you can kind of have a little bit of picture how we need our, how we need God and how Jesus stood in the gap for us, but I want you to be prepared 
Peter says to always be prepared when someone asks the hope that's inside of you. Listen, as you, as you commit your heart to God, people are going to begin to ask you, what, what is that hope? They may not use that words, but they may use those exact words. What is it in you that is not in me? You can be prepared to give them an answer. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? Say, Pastor, I'm in the room today, and I am far, far, far from God. I'm not following Jesus. Maybe you've heard his name a hundred times. Maybe you've been in church many times, but you're not following Jesus. You never committed your life to him. You say, I'm I'm lost. But today God is calling me home. I just sense, I sense the Lord is telling me to cross that gulf, cross that gap between me and God. Jesus is telling you, come on over. Come on into my presence. Come on to a life with me. And today, say, Pastor, I need to do that. I need to accept the gift of salvation. Never done it before. Maybe once upon a time you did in your life. God's just been dormant. So I need to cross over. I need to accept Christ today. Accept what he's done for me. I would would love just to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, call you forward, do anything to make a spectacle of you. Just want to pray for you. Would you just lift a hand real quick? That's me, Pastor. Today's my day. Today I'm getting things right with God. I've spent too much time far from Him. I want to live my life with Him. Amen. Father, I pray right now for every person who's far from God in the room or watching online. I pray the day would be the day where they commit themselves to You. That they would confess with their mouth, believe in their heart. Lord, that they would follow you, that they would become a Christ follower today. Do it today. In Jesus' name. And church family, would you repeat this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, use me. Stretch me. Make me concerned about those you're concerned about. Stir me. Change me if necessary. I want to be used by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just don't know if there's any telling what God will do with the people who will say that prayer and let him live it out through us. Amen. There's no telling the impact your life can have for eternity. So let's walk out of this place this week and do it. Amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for his word today? We love you, Jesus. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.